0: That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the LGBTQIA storytelling night I host and program in Sydney and Melbourne. Next, David Abello became involved in the lesbian and gay movement in 1975 and in the 80s was a member of the Gay Liberation Choir and the Gay Waves Gay Radio (laughs) We really do like putting the word gay into things. The Gay Waves Gay Radio Collective, amongst other things. In the late 90s, he was a founding member of the queer disability activist group Access Plus, Spanning Identities. His PhD thesis, In Memory of Now, A Queer History of the Present, is available online, as is his album, My Life as a Social Movement. David performed at the special 78ers Queer Stories event, featuring those who were involved in the original Sydney Mardi Gras protests in
1: 1978. I'm going to talk about a 78er, not myself, my friend Paul Young. Does anyone, did anyone know Paul Young? Oh, good, good. Well, you might enjoy this. This is some of the things most people don't know about him. Oh. <laughs> when we met, we were teenagers. I was living, alone, uh, living in a share flat in McMahons Point. It was 1975. I was home alone when a very striking-looking person knocked on the door. ''You don't know me,'' he said, ''but I'm Paul Young. ''I was at home and I was going to kill myself and I wrote my mother a letter. It's all right, I'm not going to kill myself now. But she found the letter and she freaked out and I had to get out of the house. Can I come in? (laughs) So I put the kettle on. (laughs) I was no stranger to mental illness or suicidal ideation. We smoke joints, we talk for hours about our lives, his situation, his family, his crazy brothers, his hapless Catholic parents. When Paul was young, he was sexually abused by their parish priest. By the time he was 12, he was having psychiatric treatment. Highly strung was the diagnosis. He was prescribed major tranquilizers. He was still taking them. We recognised a lot about each other's lives. He was a whirlwind. I'd never met anyone quite like him. We became very close friends and remained so. Not long after I met him, we went away to stay a weekend with his parents, who were in a caravan and annex. They liked me. I was Paul's sensible friend. It didn't take me long to work out why he was highly strung at the age of 12. (laughs) The family was troubled. Paul's older brother was a very frail schizophrenic and his young brother was aggressively violent. Paul's mother, Elaine, was always exhausted. I got into trouble for encouraging his father's stories of war service in India... Because Bob had a whining quality in his voice, one that I would later hear in Paul when he was on barbiturates. <laughs> Paul was doing an arts degree at Macquarie University. He lived with his family in West Ride, which he called West Beirut. <laughs> he was shameless, fearless, and resourceful. He was an extraordinary shoplifter. I was with him at a coal store in the city. He was chatting to the cashier with his face while his hands were folding a five-tier macrame (laughs) potholder and stuffing it into his army surplus trousers. So out on the street I marvelled at his face work and his control and he produced a foot-high bangalow palm from his jacket and said, Present for your pet. (laughs) Paul did have a wonderful sense of humour and irony, which was reflected in the Telegraph, Daily Mirror and Sun Herald placards that he stole from the front of news agencies for his collection. And I'm going to read out some of them. You know the placards, they still have them. I slept with men I didn't know. <laughs> Baby left in phone box. Worst dressed, pop star weeps. Psychopath at party, chilling photo. Bull ant kills man. Woman dies, pet budgies warning. Singing nun suicides, dies of broken heart. Pot baby outrage. And my favourite, cup of tea kills 301. Paul introduced me to people who became very important to me. People I've known all their short or long lives. He knocked on my door in 1978 and said, ''When are you going to get a fucking phone?'' ''Come on, we're going to a meeting.'' He'd been invited by the Macquarie University Gay and Lesbian Group to a meeting organising events for International Gay Freedom Day. I knew most of the people at the meeting from the lesbian and gay movement, but Paul was the only reason I went. The rest is history.'' At a time when there was centralised and large-scale entry-level recruitment to the public service, some of you might be old enough to remember that, Paul scored a job in the Department of Social Security, starting in its central benefits unit. I got a telecom job in a draconian workplace where I frequently had my flexi-time privileges withdrawn for wearing gay liberation badges. Social security had a kinder culture where Paul blossomed. Given his various states when we had lunch together in the city, I did wonder how he did it. Mandraks for lunch. And the little mattress he kept under his desk for naps. He developed an encyclopaedic knowledge of the Social Security Act and policies and in his last job, he was the officer in charge of pensions at Bondi Social Security. He made many friends there and ensured that they got all of their entitlements. (laughs) Because of his job, Paul was able to get a mortgage on a house. It was called Dulwich Hill Disco where the music was loud, non-stop and cutting edge. He had hundreds of friends visit there. He had a cat called Kenny, two silky bantams called Judy Davis and Nina Simone. And they won prizes at the Easter show. They are pretty good. His garden was a tropical jungle, a riot of colour and form. We were both members of the New South Wales Bromeliad Society... He was a very popular figure at their shows. (laughs) Out the back with the older women. In the late 70s and 80s, he was active in the lesbian and gay movement. He was always out about his homosexuality. He had radical and dissident politics. He was a transgressive dresser. He may have been the first male to shop at Suzanne's (laughs) and wear brightly coloured elastic top pants. In the later 70s when tensions were high between lesbians and homosexual males, Paul had many close lesbian feminist friends. In 1981, we were members of that year's Mardi Gras Organising Collective and foundation members of the Gay Liberation Choir. He was one of the first out HIV positive people in Sydney. He was the first to be refused air travel in Australia, which he successfully appealed in the New South Wales Equal Opportunity Tribunal. And I still have his little plaque. (laughs) <laughs> I still have the little plaque he stole from the tr- that said <laughs> complainant. <laughs> You've run Paul Young, AIDS megastar, his answering machine would say. Or HIV living legend (laughs) or on a bad day it's the walking AIDS disaster area here he was amongst those who founded people living with HIV AIDS New South Wales and he gave its publication talk about its title early HIV drugs and combination therapy had a terrible impact on his body yet as a dissident He always challenged those who crusted around the edges of compromise with government and claims to respectability. He outraged some with his public statements. His response to calls for quarantining of people with HIV, for instance, was that it was too late. He'd already had sex with 10,000 men. (laughs) It was probably about 9,000, but anyway, (laughs) he did exaggerate a little bit. (laughs) I stayed with Paul at St Vince's Hospice for the last days of his life in July 1990. At the stage that he hadn't spoken for many hours, two nuns and a priest came into the room offering him the last rites. There's a priest here, I yelled in his ear. His eyes opened and focused for a minute. Father Hugh Murray, he whined, and the priest came closer. You sucked my cock when I was eight years old. It's true. The scarlet-faced fun nuns tried to dissolve into the floor and the priest walked in shock backwards out of the room. Murray was tried in 2009 for multiple offences against children over several decades. So at least he didn't get the Royal Commission, but he got his revenge. After Paul died, we washed him and dressed him in the outfit he'd recently worn at (laughs) Ball. Something he'd stipulated in his will. Something I hope I always remember. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. For tickets and dates, follow Queer Stories on Facebook. And for late-night ramblings and pictures of my dog, Frank, follow Maeve Marsden on Twitter. For discount tickets to my shows, as well as other perks, become a supporter of my work on crowdfunding platform Patreon for as little as $4 per month. Check out mavemarsden.com for more information.